0: This is the Made It in Music Podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 137. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another music industry education-filled episode on the Made It in Music podcast. We love you guys. We appreciate you showing up and listening to episode after episode. And today, we have a simple topic that we want to address. So many of you listening would probably love to get the attention of a record label. Easier said than done for sure. But in order for you to be prepared for a record deal, you need to make sure that you have your ducks in a row. There is so much that you need to work on in advance, but sometimes it's difficult to know exactly what record labels value. Well, today's guest, Clay Hunnicutt, reveals exactly what his record label looks for when it comes to signing and discovering new artists. Clay also has a deep background in radio, so his insight is completely golden. He'll share some tips on how to strategically pitch yourself when the time comes. So make sure that you have some time set aside to listen to this episode all the way through because it is going to be good. Let's join Seth and Clay at the Full Circle Music Studios. We're here on the Made It Music
0: Podcast with my friend Clay Honeycutt, who's the president of Big Loud Records. Clay, you are a busy man. Big Loud's taking over the world of country music, and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time to come by the show today.
2: Oh, happy to be here. Thanks. I look forward to it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just dive straight in. What was the first moment that music impacted you to
2: where you knew that you wanted to pursue it as your career? I mean, I always loved music. The house uh, I grew up in with my mom and my brother, music was such an important part of our lives. uh, And my mom was a big music fan. So there was always music playing, there was always something going on in the house. Uh, And then my brother, who's three years older than me, he turned me on to Van Halen and uh, Styx and some of the other uh, rock bands of that generation. And I just, I always loved music. I think the moment, though, where I knew when I got into uh, the business and got into radio, uh, that's when it really tripped the trigger for me big time. I was an intern in college. I was doing an unpaid internship at a country station in Chattanooga, a station called US 101. And uh, that's where I truly, truly, truly fell in love and said, I want to make the music business my career in one way or the other, uh, which just because I, then you're around artists nonstop. You're around the music all the time. Uh, and that's where I really got the fever i think so about my second or third year in college and with an internship so it was really where it kind of turned for me
0: yeah Well, one thing that i appreciate about you is you've used this term that i feel like over and over again that you it's about controlling your own destiny writing your story can you talk about how maybe the phases of your career going through radio and now being at big loud how did that chronologically unfold
2: well i think um started in college uh, with the internship I was doing. I'd done an internship with a TV station in Chattanooga uh, and then I did the internship at US 101 uh, and that's where I really kind of figured out. I knew when I finished the internship in TV I knew that wasn't for me. It wasn't fast enough. It wasn't energetic enough. It wasn't there just wasn't enough energy there Uh, and when you went into a radio station there was Uh, and so really felt compelled uh, to jump into that. So that was the first moment. I think the next moment was you know, making a decision to leave Chattanooga and go to Cleveland, Ohio and run a station called WGAR. And um, I knew, we knew nobody, my wife and I knew nobody in Cleveland. And it was just one of those situations that it was a great, it was a great opportunity. Uh, And I knew that if we got there that, and we did our job that, and we did a really good job of resurrecting a great radio station, because I think it was 10th or 11th in the market when we got there, when I left, it was number one. Uh, So that was a great success. And that enabled me to go on and run WSIX and Nashville and then Atlanta we launched the Bull.
0: Yeah. I don't just want to skip over that too because for a lot of the listeners who may not be familiar with that, WSIX, I mean that's you're in the the king of (laughs) country music. (laughs) Yeah, you're in the hub
2: of it and some of the great experiences there I certainly got to work with Jerry House one of the greatest air personalities that I've ever been around, one of the most creative individuals and I think in every situation you learn things as you go that you'll repeat and things that you won't repeat but it was, I mean WSIX is a legendary radio station and has been the home to so many many great people and has done so many great things and then obviously then leaving there and going to Atlanta to launch the bull and be creating something from scratch that did not exist one day and it did the next uh, is a pretty amazing experience. Um, it can, is- you,
0: can you speak to why you did that? Obviously, you can kind of rest on your laurels a little bit and, and, and get comfortable in, in a position and you're at, at this great network. Why leave and go from, you know, number one to whatever Atlanta's
2: Yeah, is. I think, you know, for me, uh, everybody's different. For me, it, it is about taking risks, educated risks. And I, I think that's the thing I would say is I call it stepping off the ledge um, because I could have stayed at WSAX for the rest of my life and would have been very happy and that would have been great. But I'm not driven that way. I don't, I love, I love the creation process and I love the opportunity to start something from scratch and then watch it grow and build it up. There's no better satisfaction now as a label president. President to stand at the mixing board of a, you know, at front of house at a show and watching Chris Lane or Morgan Wallen or even Jake Owen sing the songs that we worked with them on and that they created, but we went out and worked and promoted and built up and had a number one or a top 10 and watching the fans sing that back to them. That's got to be an incredible, I've never been an artist, so I don't know what that feels like standing on the stage. I know it's pretty special when you're standing in the crowd, but the same way when I was in radio is the same thing. When you see the impact that a radio station makes and it's a radio station that you helped create, that you helped develop and that you put all these plans in place, uh, that's a pretty special Special feeling for the impact that it makes, but I I think you know. Again, for me, it's about the creation process. It's it's really about you know. I I get bored after a couple of two or three years uh, because once you've once you've done things. Okay, this is the fourth or fifth time I've done this. You kind of say, "Okay, I need to do something different. I need to I need that energy. I need that I need to be creating something else or something that really interests me because I feel like I've been there done that." Um and so I think and when you're on the label side, it's different because every artist is different. And it's even though you we've launched artists and we've done things and we've done some amazing things every artist has their differences and it's a new approach and it's a new way and their vision is different and things like that. And it's no different than a radio station. So I I think when I left WSIX and I went to Atlanta to create that and to work with the team there uh, and we had some amazing people and we did some great things. Again, it was an educated risk inside the company knowing if we could go there and develop those radio stations and build them up and really make them great, then it it also enabled me to take the Next steps because I had an old boss one time tell me, he's like, Don't think about the job you're going for right now. What does that get you in the next two jobs? And so have a longer vision of where does that take you? Uh, Because if you're just looking at this next step, that gets you to a certain point. But if you boxed yourself in at that point, then what are you going to do? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be 10 years from now, 12 years from now, 15 years from now? And what do you want to try to do? And so I think that longer vision is some of the reason why I, you know, kind of stepped off the ledge, as I said, to leave a very safe and secure WSIX to go to something that didn't even exist at the time. To me, those are things that drive me. Those are really important pieces.
0: Yeah, and maybe you can clarify that a little bit because you were at one point after that the senior VP of programming at uh, iHeart Clear Channel. What, how did that kind of happen? Was that as a result of you building building the thing up in Atlanta to a point where it just made sense to do that, or
2: how did that? When I left Nashville to go to run Atlanta uh, and to work for iHeart there, it was, at the time, Atlanta was probably one of the top two or three worst clusters of radio stations in the entire company. And really, nobody wanted to take it on. At one time, it was called the Widowmaker, because I think the previous seven or eight operations managers had been fired. And I had a bunch of people inside the company saying, don't take that job and stay in Nashville. It's, you know, obviously, it's a great city. And, you know, it's WSIX. Why would you want to leave that? But I also knew that, if we did a great job there, then it would lead to bigger things for me, for my family, for the company. And I think ultimately it did because um, my boss at the time, uh, he left and went to a different company. He was the senior vice president of programming. He left and went to a different company. And so when he left, I took part of his job. And then again, You know, people would say, why would you take that job? Because now it's traveling. You're working with multiple markets. You know, it's 24-7, 365. You can never stop. And that's all true. But I saw it as a way to get where I wanted to go. Uh, And to be at that moment. And then that led to being an executive vice president of programming with the 850 radio stations, working for the national programming team, which built the iHeart Country Festival, the iHeart Music Festival in Las Vegas, Fiesta Latina. All of the it led to me learning and seeing so much more uh, in my life, which ultimately led me to being more valuable to, you know, being the president of Big Loud.
0: Yeah. And that's a fascinating story. I'd love for you just to kind of share that. You've, You've shared it with me a little bit. Bit offline, but just even how how that opportunity came
2: about yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, Seth England uh, t- tells the story very well, too. But Seth England is one of the partners at Big Loud. Uh, and I knew him through uh, working with Florida Georgia Line. Uh, Seth and Chief Zaruk both uh, manage Florida Georgia Line. And so obviously, when I was working at iHeart, we had done a lot of things together to help launch their career and to help them with their album launches. And they had played several festivals with us. So I got to know them very well in that process. Uh, and Seth called me one day out of the blue and we we talked periodically about things they were developing and artists, other artists they were working on as well. But uh, Seth called me one day and said, Hey, we have a publishing company. We have a management company. We want to start a record label of our own. And I was like, Oh, well that, that's great. That's awesome. And that's, you know, what, what can I do to help? And he's like, well, can you give me recommendations of people that could be great people to run the label for us? Like we know nothing about running a record label. So what would, who would that be? So I gave him four or five great names on the spot and recommended some amazing people that if it was my money and my ball, I would trust. But at the very end of the conversation, uh, I threw him for a little bit of a loop and I just said, Hey, I got an odd one for you. What about me? And he stumbled and stammered a little bit uh, because uh, you know when the uh, when the head of iHeart programming <laughs> says hey you know consider me I- I'm sure I put him on the spot and he wasn't intending that and I told him at the time I was like hey look I'm just throwing it out there if you go with any of these other individuals obviously no hard feelings you do what you need to do for your business but I'd love to have that conversation so he went away for about a month I didn't hear from him so I thought it was dead and then he came back about a month later and said hey were you serious about that about you and I said yeah, very serious for the right opportunity, the right situation, uh, part ownership, you know, if I had a stake in it, you know, for sure. So he went away for about another month. (laughs) And and so at this point, I'm like, okay, this is really dead. And then he came back and said, hey, the partners and I want to sit down and talk to you about this. We're serious about this. We had to get all of our stuff in order because the original four partners already existed prior to me. Uh, And they said, we had to get our ducks in a row, but now we're ready to talk. And so then we spent the next two to three months talking about that and finally put it together uh and then I went in and uh went in and quit my job and and uh left and left on a journey. I uh my last day at iHeart was on a Thursday uh and my first day with Big Loud was the following Monday, so I had a whole 3 days off uh and left on a 20 week radio tour with Chris Lane. So
0: So what was it about Seth England and their crew that they had at the time which if I'm hearing it right, the label wasn't even a thing, it was an idea.
2: Right, correct.
0: What was it about them that made you bring that up? Because you talk a lot about, like, calculated risks. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there had to be enough surety that, hey, this thing is – it's either going to pan out or it's not. But you you've, you felt like, hey, this is going to work.
2: Well, again, it's about – it is about calculated risk. It is about um, – but l- if you look at the organization, take me out of the picture. You look at the organization, you've got – Craig Wiseman, one of the greatest writers Nashville has ever seen. And, you know, uh, I think it's 27 or 28 number ones now. And so an amazing individual and just an amazing person. I- forget the number ones. Craig is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Uh, and so I knew him a little bit. Then you look at what Seth England has done and working with Craig. And I'm from the publishing side. Chief is manager, you know, extraordinaire, did all the Nickelback years, did, you know, comes with a wealth and wealth of experience working with. With Dallas Smith and FGL and so many others. And then Joey Moy, who produced, you know, all the previous uh, Jake Owen, number one hits, all the FGL albums, just, I mean, and so much more. I mean, we could spend an hour just talking about Joey. But it's when you look at those four individuals, you're like, okay, you know, and we all come from varying backgrounds. And we compliment each other. Uh, we debate with each other. We come from very different angles. But when I looked at the situation uh, and I looked at the people that were involved and, and then what we were going to be trying to do, uh, that excited me because it really came uh, while it was a brand new unknown entity there were known factors to it that were very substantial, respected. I mean, the, these guys came with a wealth of goodwill already where people were like, oh, I love them, and yeah. oh, I love Craig, and man, Seth is smart, and he's on it, and, you know, Joey Moy is just amazing in the studio and all this, you know. And so you start looking at that diversity of that group, of the group of five of us, and it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. It's not that hard to make that, you know, to, yeah. to make that transition or to think Think about it that way.
0: Yeah. Well that makes total sense. And yeah, you're obviously in great company there. I want to back up to that conversation a little bit in the in the month that followed. If somebody is pursuing a a position really anywhere, how do you appropriately pitch yourself? I I know there's 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 a little bit of an art to that. Sounds like for you it's just a pretty organic part of the conversation, but if there's a listener out there that's wondering how do I go about pursuing a job, or an interview, or anything like that, how do you set yourself up to win?
2: I would say get to know as many people as you possibly can. Uh, Nashville and the music industry especially, it's all about who you know. I mean, it really is. Whether you're an artist, whether you're a writer, whether you're trying to get a job in the business, and working in the digital department, working, you know, being a film editor or whatever, whatever it is, whatever the job is, it's really, you obviously have to know your craft. You have to be a student of the game, but you also have to get to know people because a lot of the, you know, like at big loud, I think five or six people that work for us now were interns and just get your foot in the door. And show people what you can do or get to know them to where, you know, people say, you know what, I really like them. I think they're respect, you know, they're respected. And I think it's just getting to know people as much as humanly possible. And then the other thing I would tell people is don't be afraid. To do anything. I mean, I you know, when I started in the business, I would do anything. I, I would, I would empty the trash cans. I would, there's nothing. I mean, even now as the president of the record label and we're such a, and we're such a tight group that, you know, I mean, if I, if I'm walking across the parking lot and there's a box in the parking lot that needs to go in the garbage can, I pick it up and throw it in the garbage can. It's like, you know, don't be afraid. Nobody's too good uh, to do anything. I see a lot of people today that are trying to start in the business and there's things they don't want to do. And I don't understand that as like if you want to be in this business bad enough and you want it bad enough you'll do what it takes and I, and I and I see a lot of that today where people don't want to and they want to come in and they want to make six figures right out of the gate and uh and I you know I'm only working these hours and things like that and it's like this is not this is a passion project this is not a I mean this is a lifestyle this is not a job and it is um and it's important for people to understand that but I think going back to the root of your question Get to know everybody you can because it wouldn't have happened for me if I hadn't known Seth. If we hadn't nurtured that relationship a year and a half before he ever called asking for suggestions, a he wouldn't have called me for recommendations, and b I wouldn't have had the opportunity to drop that on him in that moment if I hadn't known him uh, then he wouldn't have followed up and said, "Hey, were you serious?" and he wouldn't have known my past and and my career path and in uh, hopefully that I did it right for the twenty you know the twenty four years before he came along and things like that and so I think it's It all came from me knowing him. And working well together and having a respect for what they built, him having a respect for how I worked, uh, and that kind of stuff or, or never would have happened, and that 's any job I've had. I mean, I got WSIX and in those jobs because of the bosses that I had that believed in me and because I had done everything they had asked me to do, and they trusted me and respected my work, and I liked working with them. and then when I went to Atlanta, it's because the boss I had in Nashville had moved up in the company. And he was a, he was asking me to take on one of the biggest tasks in the company. It's because he knew the work, but I had also done everything he'd asked me to do. And again, but it's because I knew somebody, and you work hard, and that and those are the two basic fundamentals. It's it's not brain surgery; it's just you know work your butt off.
0: Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> well, that and and that's a kind of a common thread that we're uncovering a lot on the podcast is how much of it is just about the relationship, right? And relationships are a long game. It's not. You just well, but it's it no different
2: It's no different than, um, I mean, Jake Owen. The Jake yeah. Owen signing for Big Loud was really big. I mean, I knew Jake as an artist from the radio side from the day he started. Uh, and then I knew his manager, Keith Gale and uh, Ando. Uh, I've known them for a long time, and Keith was on the, you know, worked for Sony for a lot of years. And so when Keith, and so, I mean, it happened very similar to how it happened me coming to Big Loud. When Jake announced that Keith, Gale, and Ando were going to be his new managers, and Keith was leaving Sony to do that, I called and congratulated Keith because I've known him for 20 years. And then I said, hey, just happened to, at the moment, just happened to say, hey, you know what? If Jake Owen is ever a free agent, you know what a fan I am. Joey Moy produced, at the time, six number ones. You know, let's put the band back together. And so, and he was like, okay, that sounds great and that kind of stuff. Well, about six months later, he reaches out and said, hey, were you serious about that? and i said yeah we were serious about that are you and he said yes and so we started talking and then four or five months later we wound up signing jake owen and here we are a year and a half later but it's one of those deals where it's just because of you knew somebody called to congratulate them made a comment 6 months later it rolls back around it's all about who you know you know and then but jake wouldn't have come to big loud if he and the others had not respected Joey's work, had not known how we do our business, knowing that we would work hard for them and that we would be great partners and those kind of things. So it goes, it all goes back to that. It's, it happens every time. If you look at successful stories, that's probably about 90% of how it happens.
0: That's so good. Well, I want to really drill into what I would love to kind of dive in as the overall theme of this conversation is just Something that you're doing very well as, as a president is running a successful music company that's actually getting things done. It sounds like when you came in, you, you came in as a partner. It was like, hey, we're putting putting this all in on the table, and it's you know this is this is a big big bet that we're going to make. So, can you talk about maybe that early season? What what did that look like? What were the Conditions when you entered the company, did you have to pursue outside investment? Did you? How did you launch in the first place?
2: When we launched in the first place, it really was um, the five partners, um, and it was all of our money. There is no outside funding. There is no capital investment from an outside party. We looked at that early, and there were people that came to us and they wanted to invest for a certain percentage of the company, uh, but we wound up saying no, uh, and it all be- because it was all about control and vision. We kind of had a vision as a group of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And we didn't want to be beholden to anybody that would have a say at how many artists we signed, what kind of artists we signed, when we released music, how we released music, what music we even cut or anything. Uh, we wanted to develop that and we didn't want to have that, you know, that outside person looking over our shoulder, calling the shots or having a say in what we did. Uh, and so that was really a fundamental part of starting the company. But when we started the company, we knew that uh, when we shoved all of the money to the center of the table as it goes, uh, we knew we were fully funded for four years no matter what, no, and even if we didn't make a dime, we knew we were fully funded for four and years. That, and
0: that's including staffing up and-, and That's the whole, everything. everything,
2: that's all in. So just looking at projections, looking at a basic budget of what we needed to run the operation uh, and doing a doing a lot of projections of, of what that was going to take. Uh, and that was a lot of the early stages was really setting those numbers and setting those budgets and okay, you know, how much are we gonna need to pay for this person, that person, what's our rent like? What's, I mean, just, I mean, you think about every grant Thing you could possibly think about, and how much is it going to take us to cut music and to make videos and uh, all of those kinds of things? And so, you take all that into account, look at it of saying, Okay, then we think we can, for a year, if the first year it's going to cost us this much, the second year it's going to cost us this much, the third year it's going to cost us this much, and the fourth year it's going to be this. Okay, that's the all in number. Let's make sure we don't start this because I think. What Some people have done a disservice to independent record labels because they start and they get a year into it, and then they're like, okay, this isn't going well. I'm losing too much money, or I can't make it, or I thought this was going to be cheaper, and then they close their doors. And so then people, I think, don't take those seriously. And so ours was, okay, We have because we're also asking people to come to work for us. And we're asking them to trust us and to b- and to buy into the vision. And,
0: hey, we're gonna be here tomorrow. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah. And it's yeah. and people ask me about Big Loud all the time. And what's why is it such a special place? Every single person on the record label, every I mean, it, without a doubt, every single person quit the job they were doing to come work for Big Loud. Stacey Waugh, VP of Promotion, left a job uh, with another record label to come do that. Allie McCoskey, that she was a national at another record label. Uh, Candace Watkins was in the marketing department at Universal Music Group. Uh, Patch Colbertson, VP of A&R, was working for Republic New York. All of these people had really good jobs. And myself, leaving iHeart. I-, I could have stayed there for the rest of my career if I'd wanted to. But it, there was a vision, there was a belief, and people wanted to do something different and really make an impact uh, and have a life. Outside of that. And so it's really important. So, from a partner standpoint, we have to be able to reassure them if you come with us, we're going to be here. This is not a fly by night thing. And so, um, that was a big part of launching the label and getting people to believe. But we shoved it all in at the center of the table and started developing, started hiring, started building off of that and really just kind of controlling our own destiny. And, um, and that's what we do every day because the artists we sign... Uh, we, we don't sign fast. We only have, I think there's seven artists on the label now, uh, and we're three and a half years in. Uh, there are some labels that have signed seven artists this year. Uh, and so it, we're not trying to, we're not trying to find things. We're not trying to throw things against the wall. Let's sign 12 things and hope that three things stick. Because we're asking, just like we asked the staff to leave their jobs to come work with us, uh, and they did, um, we're asking artists to trust us with their career and to trust us for the next three to five years uh, because it, it, what you put out there, everybody sees. And it's all about credibility and, uh, and being able to, uh, you know, say this is who we are, this is what we do, and we're making a commitment to the artist. The artist Hardy that we just signed and we just started releasing music on last October, we're going to release 20 songs over 12 months on him. And it's because we believe in him as an artist, as a complete artist, not as one song. It would be doing a disservice to him to say, hey, sign with Big Loud, and we're going to put out one song, and let's see how that goes. Why would he ever do that? I don't, I don't understand that, but we see it every day. So many follow-up questions. Uh, let's start with this. It sounds
0: like you made a really a clear distinction because it, there really are a couple ways of doing it. Like as a label or manager, is, is really just to sign a bunch of stuff, put a little bit in t- into each one, don't spend too much money on either one, put it out, see what sticks, mm-hmm. and then put your money behind yeah. that. Then there's the other side, which it sounds like your philosophy is don't sign a lot of stuff, be really, really sure, have some internal, whatever it is, proof of concept, enough of that to where... You're going to do a few of them and you're just going to put all your chips on the table there. What is that vetting process like for you? What are some of the, maybe talk about some of the metrics that you look for? Are there metrics? Is it more of a gut feeling? How do you evaluate that
2: yeah uh, I think it's all I think it's a uh, pieces of each one of those that you mentioned you know nowadays there are so many metrics out there uh, and with artists uh, releasing independent music on their own uh, without a record label sometimes you can see it that way uh, there's also a huge networking factor to where we found a few artists from publishers where publishers have come to us and said hey we've been working with this with this artist and they're ready to be an artist they've been writing for the last two years and we feel like that they've got uh, you know a great stable of music what would be some
0: examples of those that maybe a publisher has brought to you
2: I think uh, Hardy was certainly one of them I mean that started as a relationship from writing uh, because uh, we were being pitched songs by Hardy. Uh, and uh, he wrote Simple, a number one for FGL. He wrote Up Down, but that was a number one for Morgan Wallen with uh, featuring FGL. He wrote I Don't Know About You, uh, that is the current Chris Lane single. And then we were hearing other songs. So we were being pitched his songs. And we kept asking, it's like, okay hey, who's the guy singing the demo? And it was one of those things where, and they were like, well, that's, his name is Michael Hardy. We call him Hardy. And then we got to know him and got he got to hanging around. And then he started co-writing with Morgan Wallen and FGL and those guys. And they were like, man, we love this guy. He is amazing. I mean, he's really great and he's dynamic. And so we just started talking to him as, hey, do you want to be an artist? And it took a little bit because at first he was like, no, 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 no. You know, that's not what drives me. And then the more we talked and the more he, Kind of told us of his vision of what he wanted to do. It, it kind of became clear that that was a great next step for him. Uh, Morgan Wallen, uh, not that not that different. Um, at the time, we were being pitched songs by him, uh, you know, for him. Where the publisher would come in and say, "Hey, here's these songs. We want Chris Lane or somebody else on your on your roster to cut these songs." And we kept going back. It's like, but is that is that who's that singing the demo? And they were like, "Well, that's Morgan." And we're like okay, let's get Morgan in here and let's talk to him about the vocal. You know, the songs are great. Yeah, we agree the songs are great, but, you know, we want to talk to him about something else. And then we've had others where... And we've had others brought to us that we didn't sign. We've missed a couple. There were, there were some that we went after pretty hard that we didn't get. You know, somebody said, oh, you need to see these guys or this girl or that guy. Uh, and, you know, we went and saw them, liked them, met with them, even made them an offer, and they went somewhere else. And that's okay. We always really think about those as, okay, there's a reason that didn't happen. We don't know what that reason is. But there's a reason that that didn't happen. So let's move on. And it's just, you can't you can't dwell in that. We see new artists and get those recommendations from a myriad of ways. Some are from their publishers. Some are from their managers. Managers will call and say, hey, I just signed this new guy or this new girl. I really want you to see them. Or we'll see them at shows. We'll, we'll go out to a show and we'll, we're we're intending to see the second or third act. And we see, you know, this person opening the show and we're like, hey, I know I came to see, you know, artist number three, but artist number one is pretty amazing. Let's go talk to her. Let's go talk to him uh, and really those elements. So I think in this day and time, there are, I mean, seven, eight different sources that you can, you know, you find new artists from. And 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 then it becomes about passion because we get passionate about it and then we talk to that person. And if they get our vision and what Big Loud is about, then we'll work together. If they don't, it's okay. It's not for everybody.
0: So... Obviously it's one part of the attractiveness to some of these people is literally just their voices on these demos. Are these people like are there metrics that you kinda look at to go along with that? Like do you go back and you're like, okay, well we'll check out his social media if he has X amount of followers? you know, there's that. What are some of those metrics, if any, that you guys look for?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the metrics are important, but the first thing we're looking for is voice. The second thing is that little bit of something, that star power in them, uh, you know, because you can always see it. When you when you, when you you meet somebody, you go, oh, wow. You know, they're dynamic in their own unique way, whatever that happens to be. Uh, but there are always metrics involved. Sure, you're looking at their social followings. You're looking at if they've released music, what does that look like? Uh, you know, do, how many followers do they have other pieces. But we're really looking at everything. I mean, we're looking at and we don't look at one thing in a silo, because, you know, there are metrics that will mislead you. And if the person's not great in a room full of people, then, you know, I can't, I can't fix that. Uh, You know, I mean, you can work with somebody and you can certainly try to bring them out of their shell. But there are certain people that walk into the room and they just capture the room. And we've all seen it. And, And those are dynamic, dynamic people. And you can't train that you can you can try to help bring it out, but you can't train that and so I think um, there are there is clearly a metric universe involved in our world now that is really fantastic and it does cut down on the misses uh, when you do it right but at the same time you're still looking at the person you're still looking at that one on one conversation and you're you're getting their vision for who they want to be as an artist and what they want to record and what kind of music do they want to release and then you know I mean it, Every artist is a brand it is what 's the you know what colors do they like what, what what does it look like taste like smell like feel like what 's the texture to it it is they are coke Coke has a brand it's red it's white it's the coca cola it's it's legendary, and every artist is that way too. You just got to find that and then and we try to elevate we don 't try to replace that or tell them what to do it's really more about elevating that and bringing that out in them. can you talk a little bit about you know, one
0: of the big parts of running a successful music company is obviously overseeing a team that's rowing in the same direction. How do you get the best out of your team members and then spin that into something, into an organization that then attracts great artists and great talent, like from that perspective?
2: I think it starts with hiring good people. Um, I think that is uh, because, look, there are, there are people that are experts in their field and they 're just not good fits we've talked about it uh, when we when we go to hire somebody, when we look to add to the team now, we really think about the people we 're interviewing are clearly good at their jobs or they wouldn't be in the room they 've proven themselves to be successful in some realm or another so they've made they 've made it to the room now then we're looking at, okay, how does this person fit with us? Do they fit into the family? And we talk about that. It's like, you know, are they going to be productive and energetic and bring, you know, a different perspective? Uh, Are they going to, you know, are they going to be able to, you know, to because they're coming into an organization that's already running and that's never an easy thing. And so are they going to be able to fit in with that group and run, you know, run as fast as the rest of the team does? So, again, once we've done the screening and you you know and if you're sitting in the final room and you and I were interviewing for a job you've made it past all that point now I'm just judging you on do we feel like that you're going to fit with the rest of the crew and the rest of the family and if so then great let's go together and if not Then it's just about fit and it's about uh, it's about fit and form. And so so we look at that. But what we're always trying to do, and and again, we've just recently added the VP of A and R and Patch Colbertson and the VP of marketing of Candace Watkins, and then uh, the national director when Stacy ascended to the VP of promotion role and we we added Allie, those were all the discussions about these clearly, clearly talented individuals in their own rights. But then it became about did they want to fit with us and did they fit our family. Uh, And they do. And uh, And they've jumped in and they've brought a whole new element. But then as a growing company, you know, and sometimes it's a struggle, there are growing pains because you're bringing new, you're injecting new people into the system and they're bringing new thoughts, new ideas, new creation, new ways to do stuff. And when you've created something from scratch, sometimes it's hard to give up you know, the way it's been done. And so you really have to, especially for somebody like me, I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that at times it's hard because we were on the front end. We had to do everything ourselves. Now that there's a full staff, you got to step away and let them do their jobs and let them go run with the ball and trust them to do that. And so sometimes uh, sometimes that's hard, uh, especially when you helped create it. And then, you know, even for, you know, Stacy, who was there within a month of us starting the record label and others that have been there since day one, when new people come in, you really have to try to give them their space. And that's a dynamic that you really have to work through. And there are growing pains with that. It's not all smooth sailing every day.
0: That's good. One of the things that you guys have done really well, and you talked about Chris Lane. As soon as you entered entered the company, you went on a twenty week <laughs> radio tour with them, and yeah, that was and fun. That, that song ended up becoming y'all's first number one, correct? As a label, so you're you're winning at radio, and that's a big thing that I think a lot of artists have a question mark about because it's it's so hard nowadays. It's so, right. the space is so crowded. There's so many labels. There's so many great talent out there. So we are going to do a, if you're cool with it, doing a little post-script deep dive on presenting yourself and setting yourself up to win at Country Radio. Sure. We'll we'll chat a little bit about that. If people want to check that out, then go to madeitinmusic.com, go to the show notes page, and they can find that there. Awesome. um, As we're wrapping up the conversation, I want to dive into what we call our lightning round.
2: Lightning round.
0: Number one, best piece of advice ever given to you.
2: Oh, uh, argue and debate with your boss until they tell you to shut up and go do your job. And then you shut up and go do your job. <laughs> you got to keep going, man. It's like, I mean, right. I mean, at some point your boss just says, I hear you, but you, I don't care. Go do what I told you to do. And as an employee, you got to go do that.
0: Okay. All right. Number two, favorite Nashville meeting spot.
2: Ooh, wow. Probably Fenwick's. I like to do breakfasts. Uh, and usually I can walk in there and I'll see about eight people I know. So while I'm having my meeting, I'm also uh, shaking hands and kissing babies.
0: It's becoming the hot spot over it there. Is. Yeah. It is. Number three, most awkward moment being in radio promotions from the other side. Like when you were in radio, you were programming. Was there an awkward moment that stands out?
2: Uh, There's not one specifically, but I think it's when an artist comes in, you've been hyped on it so much, and then they uh, kind of crash and burn in front of you. And it's hard to be – you know that they're sitting there with their dreams – Raw right in front of you, and you have to find the delicate way to kind of go, That wasn't good, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that didn't end well. So, and there's been several of those over my career, yeah. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in our deep dive of sure. how to not crash and burn <laughs> yeah, in that scenario. Sure,
0: number four first song that
2: really impacted your life. Oh, wow! Uh, I would say probably say Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band Against the Wind. I think i was 12 or 13 my mom was a big fan went to a con went to that was one of my first concerts that i vividly remember was bob seeger uh and to this day he's absolutely probably top two or three favorite artists of all time for me
0: all right good call there and last question in the lightning round favorite city in, in the world that working in music has taken you to
2: Oh, wow. Uh, I got to tell you, I love Chicago. Um, I lived in New York for two years and it's great, but I love, uh, there's something about Chicago that is a big city with a Midwest feel. It's a little more, it's a big city with a friendlier uh, approach, but I love uh, that whole Michigan Avenue area and along the waterfront and things like that. I love Chicago.
0: Awesome. Well, good answers. Well, again, we're going to do our deep dive on uh, winning at Country Radio, but Clay, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come by the podcast. Just
2: amazing to hear your story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's awesome.
1: Hopefully you feel so much more empowered now to approach labels than you did at the beginning of this episode. Of course, as usual, this isn't all that we have from Clay. We have a deep dive with him. We specifically asked him on this one to share about some strategies for meeting radio stations. If you want your songs to get played on radio, one of the best things that you can do as an artist is to go on a radio tour. And Clay tells you exactly how you can do it well and how you can mess it up. So to learn more about radio tours and meeting the decision makers at radio stations, check out this deep dive totally free. It's at madeitinmusic.com. That is madeitinmusic.com. And you can sign up to access the deep dive right there on the homepage of the site. You can also find the show notes and resources for this episode at madeitinmusic.com 137. On this episode, Clay mentioned that one of the things that labels do pay attention to is your artist metrics, and one of the absolute best ways to connect with a fan base to get them to engage with you on Spotify, social media, etc., is to have a strong email list. If you do not have an email list yet, I cannot possibly encourage you enough to start one. In light of that, I want to share a quick resource for the email list tool that we use and the one that we recommend to artists. It's called GetResponse, and they have the easiest email autoresponder on the market. That means you can pre-write emails that automatically create relationships with new fans 24-7. You make the emails once, and the program does the rest of the work for you on its own. We are partnered with GetResponse on an affiliate level, which means if you sign up for GetResponse through our link, it actually helps to support this podcast. And if you would like to try them out and see what the professional email world is all about, you can get a trial account completely free for 30 days. Just use this specific link, fullcirclemusic.com slash email. Again, that's fullcirclemusic.com slash email. We really appreciate you using that exact link to help support this podcast. And we're always here to help our friends using GetResponse. So if you sign up and need any help at all with your email newsletter or email autoresponder, just send us a message. You can always reach us at support at fullcirclemusic.com. Thank you to Jericho Scroggins for your work editing this podcast. And for our podcast outro today, we are featuring a country song by Mike Medved, one of our podcast listeners who went through the Bridge House program to get this song produced by the pros. It is called Country Limousine.
2: I was sitting in my daddy's old pickup truck And I know I caught your eye when I pulled
1: up In my country limousine I was feeling like James Dean